I want to open up with one thought. You don't have to do it alone. Think about it. You don't have to do it alone, whether you are trying to move up in your career, start a new business, or if you are a CEO that just can't sleep at night, you don't have to do it alone. Now, (laughs) I should take my own advice as a young child. All I would say is I can do it. I can do it on my own. Leave me alone. (laughs) However, as we move up in our career and the impact we want to have is so much more vast, we can't know it all. And so as a business owner, again, as a CEO or up and coming, you can try to do it on your own, but it's going to take you so much longer. And finding a mentor, a board of advisors, curating the best information so you don't have to make as many mistakes. Sound advice. And so went our conversation with Jay Samet. Listen, it is so full of insights and inspiration. That is the Drop-In CEO podcast, but you don't want to miss a word of this conversation. Let's listen. There are thousands of people that would love to help you. And I teach you in Future Proofing You how to build those relationships using LinkedIn and find those people. And it's not what I get thousands of, you know, an email that says, will you be my mentor? That's like walking to a bar and saying, hey, will you have my baby? Uh, you can tell me if that works, but I don't think so. But you can develop a great mentor that you never use the M word. Oprah wouldn't be there without Barbara Walters, okay? Zuckerberg wouldn't have made it to the top without Steve Jobs. Mother Teresa found her mentor on a bus bench. And it's not about having one mentor. The world is so dynamic. We're living in the era of endless innovation that you're going to need a series of people to get you through the various hurdles. Because all that your journey will be is failing again and again and again. You will fail forward. When you fail, you don't end up where you started. You either earn or you learn. So why not have somebody help you? Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, my name is Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I just want to thank you again for joining me for another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I am grateful that I have the opportunity to speak to amazing leaders and bring their insights to you. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. And now I'm honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Jay Samet. He is an international best-selling author. He is a dynamic entrepreneur and intrapreneur who is widely recognized as one of the leading experts on disruption and innovation. And he has helped so many companies from IPO to going public, such as LinkedIn, Sony, many others. But the thing that really drives me that uh, I think this conversation is going to be amazing is that he has done so much for so many people. And all he wants to do is give back, inspire others, entrepreneurs to have the courage to move forward, create their future, make a few mistakes, 
disrupt, and be successful. Jay, it is my pleasure to invite you onto the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, I can't wait for you to share your story. It is truly inspiring, not only the work you do, but how you've been able to help companies and individuals. So please share a little bit about yourself personally, your business journey and background, and the work you're doing now. Sure. So I'm no different than anybody listening. I bought into the society's promise that if you go to school and you graduate, you live happily ever after. And I came out during a recession. There were no jobs. And I had two sons when I was very young and I looked down at them and I wanted them to have a good life. So I had to figure it out. I didn't set out to create billion dollar companies. I didn't set out to be a public CEO. I didn't set out to really understand how the world worked, but you didn't have a choice. The world doesn't owe you anything. So one of the the things that set me on my journey and one of the things in my new book, uh, Future Proofing You, is I realized that there are patterns and truths. And so this book has the 12 truths to, to get to be successful. And these aren't tree-hugging, strange things. They pretty much make sense. But if you would have told me that the dozens of people that I've worked with would become self-made billionaires, not with an M, but with a B, I'd go, what? I don't even know what a millionaire was at the beginning of my career. This is insane. But working with Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates and and Reed Hoffman, and all these people, you notice a pattern. They didn't come from the right families. They didn't have the, the right education. And in many cases, they're not the smartest people. You only need two things to make it to the top, insight and perseverance. Insight can be taught. Perseverance we can work on, but everything else can be hired. Remember, Steve Jobs created the first trillion-dollar company, and he never wrote a line of code. He's not an engineer. So what is it? And how can we learn it? And so in Future Proofing You, I took an immigrant who was homeless, who was a millennial, who was couch surfing, you know, and I mentored him one day a week for a year, gave him no contacts, no capital, didn't tell him what business to start, but it had to be a company that took zero capital. And he went from broke to self-made millionaire in 11 months. And anyone can do it. This isn't a get rich quick scheme book. This isn't about an overnight thing. This is, he was willing to work harder for one year than most people were willing to, so he could live the rest of his life the way most people can't. Without giving away the book, because you've obviously, you're a great storyteller and you've piqued my interest here. You talk about insight and perseverance. Yeah. He, he persevered. But yeah. what was maybe one or two pieces of insight that he really ran with to create the future that he wanted? Sure. So the first truth on your journey that you have to start with is you have to have a growth mindset. When you have a growth mindset and you hit obstacles, what you realize is obstacles are opportunities in disguise. Entrepreneurs do not sell things. They solve things. Solve things for a few people. You have friends, solve for a million, pay money. Solve for a billion people, you change the world. So you need that mindset. Normally, you could work with somebody, coach or whatever, and organically get them to have that confidence to shut off that voice in your head. The reason I wrote my first book, Disrupt You, is if you don't change that narrative of you can't and I'm not good enough, you, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So in Vin's case, when I set up the Future Proofing You experiment, I didn't have the time to let him organically build his confidence. So as he learned when he read the book, which I didn't let him see ahead of time, in our very first meeting, I lied to him. There's a phenomenon in psychology called the Pygmalion effect. The professor went to school, he tested every student, told the, the school these three students would be super achievers this year, super learners. At the end of the year, they take a standardized test and those three kids kill it. 
the professor lied. He never looked at the first test. He picked three names out of a hat. But if you tell people they're special and you treat them special, they become special. So I told Vin, I interviewed over 100 people, and he was the only one that had all the attributes to be a self-made millionaire. And what was funny is, and of course, I only interviewed him because otherwise you're cherry picking and it's a false experiment. But after that first meeting, I left the restaurant. I bought him two pizzas. That's the only subsistence that I gave him during this experiment. He left the restaurant and he wrote a note to himself. And it wasn't until six months into it that he would share that with me. I didn't know it existed. It's in the book. And it basically says, to paraphrase Vin, this old guy's full, but I don't believe any of this. But I've got nothing else going on, so I'll go along with it. And by the end of the first month when he made $60,000, there was no stopping him. So sometimes people get stuck because they have to intellectualize things. There's got to be an A to B to C to D in order for me to believe that I can follow this recipe. But sometimes we just have to throw that away and just say, trust the process. Trust Trust the process and go with it. But what's also been hammered into is those people were successful because they're smarter. Well, guess what? Studies, and I have these in Future Proofing You, higher IQ people don't end up wealthier, okay? Those people were better educated than I am. Guess what? Nowadays, college graduates do not end up wealthier than non-college graduates. So what are the differences? And then as I go through the truths, there are some things that all the so-called gurus that are out there, and I'm not that. I'm a guy who's run companies with hundreds of thousands of employees and do billions of dollars. And I sat in the empty room where everybody here is and said, okay, I'm going to build a company. And I've come into failed startups. There was a startup that blew through $8 million. They had total historic sales of $30,000. And the VC says, we're pulling the plug unless you want to come in. And I looked at it and I knew what to do. And 18 months later, News Corp bought it for $200 million. I've taken companies public without major sales. I know the process. I know the game, but the game isn't taught. And how do you win if you don't know the rules? I don't give where it all starts for the entrepreneur. In fourth grade, Deb, you were taught something like this. If Jay buys a banana for $1 and I sell it to you for $2, I make a dollar. That's what business is. That's not what business is. That implies a zero-sum game, that it's like a poker game. The only money I can have is the money that's on the table. So if you have money, I take it. That mindset is I'm competing against you. If they get the jobs, if that country gets the job, if immigrants, you know, it's everybody against you. Now let me do There's a self-made billionaire every 48 hours. How do they do it? Hey, Deb, I'm starting a new company. I'll sell you 10% for $10,000. What do I now have? I have 10,000 in cash and 90,000 in stock. I can hire people with that. I can buy things with that. I can merge with that. I can create. Entrepreneurs create capital. It doesn't come from a central bank. It's a Midas touch. You're creating wealth that did not exist except for your efforts. Now, if you believe that, that there is abundance, Then the next thing, and it's one of the truths that people don't understand, don't fly solo. You're going to need a series of mentors. And if you realize the world isn't all competing against you, there are thousands of people that would love to help you. And I teach you in Future Proofing You how to build those relationships using LinkedIn and find those people. And it's not what I get thousands of, you know, an email that says, will you be my mentor? That's like walking to a bar and saying, hey, will you have my baby? Uh, You can tell me if that works, but I don't think so. But you can develop a great mentor that you never use the M word. Oprah wouldn't be there without Barbara Walters, okay? Zuckerberg wouldn't have made it to the top without Steve Jobs. Mother Teresa found her mentor on a bus bench. 
And it's not about having one mentor. The world is so dynamic. We're living in the era of endless innovation that you're going to need a series of people to get you through the various hurdles. Because all that your journey will be is failing again and again and again. You will fail forward. When you fail, you don't end up where you started. You either earn or you learn. So why not have somebody help you? There are so many different directions that we can go in. But I I just want to say, first of all, I'm inspired because being an entrepreneur, and we'll go into the conversation about the future of entrepreneurship, especially for the US and other countries, but there's so much insight. (laughs) I'm a business owner. And if nothing else, you give me hope because to your point, insight and inspiration and the perseverance, I have all of that. It's a tough journey, though, because you believe you're doing the right things. You're building the right network. You believe you're making the right investments on the hope and belief that you're going to create more value than what you started with. (laughs) I would put a pin in the hope and belief. What you have is data. Data doesn't have an ego. Data doesn't have any position. So look at your data of what you're doing. You know whether business is working or not working. You'll know every step of the way. You'll, You'll get a report card daily, weekly, monthly. Data never steers you wrong. The only competitive advantage any business has in the 21st century is to get insights from their data, their customers, faster than the competition. I'll give you my go-to example. I know if you've heard me before, but I love this example. Before people were swiping to get hookup, okay, there was online dating. And before broadband, it was a still picture. You read the bio, you email each other, and thousands of marriages came out of that. But when broadband came in, you could have video. Three guys sat down and said, we're going to make a fortune. We're going to make a dating site. It's called TuneIn Hookup, where you can put up your video and you can see each other. And, you know, flawless, great engineering, great interface, easy to use. They were going to make a killing. First video goes up there. I can't make this up. A guy standing in the zoo in front of the elephant enclosure talking about why you should go out with him. Yeah, ladies, that sounds like that's a hit. Well, guess what? No one wanted to date these losers, but they looked at the data. And the data told them something that wasn't in their business plan. Nobody wanted to date these losers, but they sure as heck wanted to share those videos with their friends. So they changed the name of TuneIn Hookup to YouTube and became billionaires in the first 12 months. So what's that telling us is look at the data. What may have started out as a great idea, the data and the feedback may say you need to go in a different direction. In Disrupt You, I talk about something that throws most people. If you have an idea for a business, you're not going to expect me to say this. Your idea sucks. I haven't even heard it, and I'm pretty sure it sucks. Why? Because ideas haven't gone far enough into the jungle to see what works and what doesn't. You haven't tested them with customers. You haven't found anything. It's from that insight and that journey. And if you can go those iterations before you start spending your precious capital, you're going to learn those lessons one way or the other. Would you like to learn it after you spent the money you raised or before? So if you can kill your idea, if you can find every reason why it can be killed, and keep on hammering away. Don't fall in love with it. Kill it. What comes out at the end of that is a zombie idea. A zombie idea can't be killed. A zombie idea, you can go to VC, private equity, anybody, and raise your money in a week. I took one of my college students. I, one of the ways I pay it forward is I teach us how to build a high-tech startup. And I took one of my college kids up to Silicon Valley, and she raised $10 million in a week. It was the second most money ever raised by a woman. It wasn't because I was there. It was the idea was flawless because it had been hammered on every which way. And you would have to have built that company to find where the flaws are down the road. I want to ask you a question on that. I so get the insight about hammer it until you can't hammer it anymore. 
But what about validation? So for instance, you know, yeah, one could say you're a consultant, Deb. Sure, there's a lot of people out there that do leadership development, strategic planning. But whenever I say, but I'm the drop-in CEO, because I drop in, I look at the landscape, I partner with you, I don't give you my five-step approach, I'm going to guide you here, there, and And people say, oh my God, I love that. Oh my God, I love that. So where's the balance between you can't kill the idea anymore, so it must be something, to you get a lot of validation? I'm curious. So the only validation that matters, and if you're religious, it's right in front of you in the Bible, Jesus sat by himself. I don't think anybody know his name today, but he got a bunch of customers, Okay. Find 12 customers, not grandma who's going to tell you you're doing a good job. More entrepreneurs are killed by praise than propelled by criticism. So find Mm. a real customer. Are they willing to pay for it? I'm on the chairman of a company that's doing something completely different now, okay? And my main concern, it was taking all the chemicals out of our food production. Sounds great. Instead of putting poison on our food that we think doesn't kill us, why not have little robots that cut out all the weeds, go up and down? the rows of corn, the Milo, uh, you know, soy, whatever. Never been done before. Well, we talked to customers and we came up with the business model from the customers, which is they don't want to buy CapEx and spend all money on this. So robots as a service, the robots come to your field for a day, they take care of the weeds and it's less than the cost of spraying. So now farmers make 40% more money. Number two, farmers don't get cancer from handling Roundup and all these things. Consumers would like to buy healthier food. And now comes the real payoff. The reason why farmers till the soil is to chop up weeds. That is the single largest source of carbon in our air. Largest source of heating the planet. That's 25% of all that. That's more than all the cars in just the US. So if 300 million acres did this, the planet doesn't overheat. Healthy food, healthy planet. That's what Greenfield Robotics does. But do you see, we wouldn't have gotten to that point without talking to the farmer. It's easy to say, oh, we can make a robot that does this. But when we talk to the farmer, they don't want to own a robot and deal with a robot and manage. That's not in their business. So that that's what I talk about. The only validation is the guy who's willing to write a check. So ultimately, any business should be constantly getting more data, validating, fine-tuning, go back to the drawing board until people are saying, yep, that makes sense. And I'll tell you one step further. It's a lifelong commitment to learning because what got you to success won't keep you there. The big challenge, and this is what I found in running large companies, the largest company I've run did $100 billion a year. I've run companies with $40 billion a year, is most of the people that got to the C-suite believe what got them there will keep them there, right? But we have thousands of examples of startups disrupting 100-year-old companies and making them go. The company where I learned the hardest lesson because I was unable to turn them around was coming in to turn around Sony. If they were just so set in annual planning and this and that, and like, no, the world doesn't work that way. But was that a failure on your part, but maybe a symptom of the environment that wasn't ready to embrace your disruption? The hubris is everybody warned me what the culture was in Tokyo, what the the obstacles, why they were doomed. Mm -hmm. And so I had the hubris to believe that there's no challenge that can't be tackled. So the fact that I was unable to change the culture in the time that it needed. If I was going to take the glory, I have to take the blame. But sometimes, again, like you say, there's lessons in there. I'm sure whatever you learned there, you could have applied to somebody else. So let's just think about the company, the person, the CEO, the senior business leader who may be listening to this. What is it that they're feeling, seeing, doubting, not sure about that they should probably pick up your book, connect with you, and 
either disrupt or learn some of the 12 truths. The pandemic fundamentally changed our world permanently. It accelerated a number of things going on. So let's start with the positives. Remote workers are your new competitive advantage. Truth number 12. Let's go for why. Less turnover, 40% greater productivity, less cost. Millennials would rather take the option of working from a home over you paying off their student debt. That's how powerful that is. It also allows you to get a diversity in your workforce, not just of people that may have young kids or taking care of elderly parents or whatever the situation, but for most of history, you had to hire people within 10 or 20 miles of where you are. So you hired the best people in Podunk. Now you can hire the best people on the planet, and they may be willing to work at a wage that's different than the community in which you hear your voice. But the flip side is, your competition now can be anywhere and your customer can be everywhere. So you need to be lean. You don't need to have the corporate edifice. You don't need the overhead. You don't need any of that. And I list 22 software tools that basically all have three until you get to certain size business. So you can run that organization remotely. A great example is 99designs, if you've ever used. If you need a logo, you go to 99designs and you say, I want a logo, I'll pay $500. If you say, pick any number you want. If you say $1,000, you'll get hundreds of entries from all over the world, more than any ad agency could have worked on. And whenever at the end of that, for one of my companies, I pick a winner, I always ask, where are they? And sometimes it's a kid in Indonesia. And sometimes it's somebody doing a side hustle, even though they work for you know the biggest ad agency in the world. But you're getting the best talent for every job that you could want. So that's what you have to think about in your new business. I tell the story in Future Proofing You of a small appliance maker in Northern Europe that makes a little handheld vacuum, like a dustbuster, but does things a little different. Somehow, through the interconnectedness of the 7 billion people that use the internet and use our phones, a review was written about it in Korea. Next thing you know, their entire market is Korea. So you have to just look at those data connections. I've used it in so many bizarre things. When I got out of school and there were no jobs, I had just seen the movie Star Wars and I knew what my life was going to be. I want to make special effects in Hollywood. I didn't know nothing about special effects, knew nobody in Hollywood and didn't know much about a computer. So I needed data. And this is pre-internet. So I took out a blind ad in the Hollywood Reporter as if I was a studio describing an entry-level job that I would want. And that gave me two pieces of data. I got a ton of resumes in. So I could see what my resume needs to look like, what skills I need to get a job. And I have a bunch of resumes of people who have one foot out the door. So I know a bunch of companies that are about to have openings. I'll give you the 21st century version. I wrote about this in Disrupt You. Young man wanted to work in that agency, wanted to be a madman, wanted to be creative, wanted to make commercials. He got one of the jobs with the big three giant multinationals in Manhattan, in the basement, in a cubicle, moving numbers around, ready to shoot himself every day. He was miserable. But he looked on the web and he searched around and he realized no one had bought the keywords of the names of the three greatest, five greatest creative directors that run the, the biggest agencies. So he bought them for $9, the price of a Vente Frappuccino. He said, whenever these people Googled themselves, as famous people do to check if there's anything bad, I said, I'd like to work for you. Click here to see my portfolio. Three of the five called him in. All three offered him jobs. Five times his salary, accelerated his career by 20 years for a $9 investment. So the people that need you with the pandemic are people that want to maintain a competitive advantage, but they're feeling a little bit uncomfortable 
They need to think disruptively. And as you pointed out, the workforce expects different things and they can get different things from it. Be able to be more agile, be lean. You don't need that brick and mortar anymore. You need to be able to work anywhere at any hour of day. And if you're not sure how to do that, leveraging your book, leveraging what you do, you they may be able to get through right. that. You said comfortable, you know, complacency is the death knell for business. We live in a dynamic world. It constantly changes. For years, if you had a taxicab medallion in Manhattan, you know, you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for it, you hand it down to your kid, and he's guaranteed a lifelong career making good money as a taxicab driver. Gone. Uber did it better. You have to get over your fears. We could do a whole show on fears are real. These people that say fear isn't real, fears completely wrong. We are biologically hardwired. Our lizard brain, our central part of the brain is the fight or flight response. You can't overcome that, but you can prioritize fear. So if your fear of failing, fear of losing your money, fear of losing other people's money, fear of being embarrassed, every entrepreneur feels these things. Yes. But when you're walking down the street and a bus doesn't have brakes and it's barreling towards you, or you think about those fears or you think about losing your life, you jump out of the bus. You jump out of, get out of the way. You have the biological ability to prioritize fear. So if you're at a job that you hate, that doesn't pay you enough to live at the lifestyle that you deserve or that you need, and you're not learning and you're not growing, you're trading a light, a day of your life, a week of your life, a month, a year, you'll wake up, you gave up the most precious thing. You gave away your life for what? The purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. Keep that fear present that every day you delay in starting is one less day you get to work on it. Very inspiring. And now let's move in another direction because we talked about this before we jumped on the call. Again, entrepreneurship, middle class, opportunity, letting our life pass by. What are your thoughts on people having the courage, taking the risk, creating the future, and maybe pursuing being an entrepreneur and taking a risk on themselves? Most common question I get when I talk before thousands of people and audiences, now a good time to start a business. And my canned answer is, now is the second best time to start a business. A year ago was even better. Don't delay. There's no reason to delay. If your future is going to be better, wouldn't you like to enjoy it? The old way of making money is, and there's a whole chapter, working hard doesn't make you rich, okay? Uh, I'm going to scrimp and save and invest. Nothing against Warren Buffett. He just hit $100 billion. I'll disclose my financials to you. He's worth more than me. But- he made 99% of that after he was 50. Kylie Jenner became a billionaire at 22. I know which one I would do. I'm on the wrong side of 50. I would have enjoyed my money a lot more when I was younger. So what did Kylie do different? Can you do that? And for everybody that's going, well, she's a Kardashian. There were no billionaires in the Kardashian family. So what did she do different? Can you do that same thing? And that's what I'm trying to get across because we need entrepreneurs. They're the only people to create jobs. They're the only people to create a middle class. You cannot have democracy without a strong middle class. There's never been a war between two countries that have a McDonald's. Let that sink in for a second. Because <laughs> there's a stable middle class in those countries. There's never been a famine in a country with a free press. So when I saw what happened in our nation's capital, I'm not getting into politics. I'm not taking sides. I saw thousands of people that feel left behind, left out fighting over the leftovers. During the pandemic, the bottom 140 million Americans are fighting over the 1% that they own. The top 150 Americans doubled their net worth this year. 
Not what they make in a year. They doubled their lifetime's net worth in one year. Why don't you want to do that? What is stopping you? I remember I met Jack Ma years ago, Alibaba. He didn't even own a laptop or computer when he started his first tech company. So forget about knowing how to do it. Remember, you only need two things, insight and perseverance. He'd just been turned down for a job working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. He would have been thrilled. The gentleman that created WhatsApp the year before applied for a job at Facebook. He would have given him his idea to Zuckerberg for free. He didn't have a choice. So a year later, he sells it to him for $17 billion. I'm going to ask you another question because I'm getting inspired. I mean, we're talking insight and perseverance. I could probably check the box on both of those. How much of it is, but I have more perseverance than others versus doing all the right things and the opportunity shows up for you and being ready for it? Well, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Here's what one of the truths is in Future Proofing You. You have to take perseverance and turn it into passion. When you see an immigrant in this country doing a menial job, sweeping a floor, working whatever, that is not their identity. Their journey started before they got here and it's propelling them to what they want to achieve, which is why one out of three Fortune 500 companies was founded by an immigrant or a first-generation child. If you walk by a construction site and this guy's building bricks, there's three bricklayers, okay? And you ask them what they're doing. The first guy says, I'm laying bricks. The second guy says, I'm making a building. And the third guy says, I'm making a house of God. The first guy has a job. The second guy has a career. The third guy has a purpose. He's building a church. So anybody can sell shoes. Anybody can make shoes. La-di-da. But when Tom Shoes says, when you buy a pair of our shoes, somebody that's never had shoes on their feet get a pair of shoes for free. How does that make the consumer feel? How does that make an employee want to work there? Sustainable capitalism is what we have to move into. The idea of endless growth on a finite planet doesn't work. So why not get ahead of the regulations and embrace things that make our world better? Because if you're solving for others, nothing will give you greater joy in this planet. Your life will be fulfilled not by helping yourself, but by helping others. And I don't mean it altruistically without a bottom line. If you want to do that, start a charity. But if your business is truly solving something, then you're helping people. Nobody went to a hardware store to buy a quarter-inch drill bit. What they wanted was a quarter-inch hole. The entrepreneur made the drill bit to solve that problem. So let's start bringing this to a close. My papers are filled up with notes. I am inspired. I feel confident. I, too, building a business, solving a problem. I'm on the right track. I still have a lot to learn, but I'm willing to take the risk. You've been so successful. You've helped so many companies. What is your legacy or the impact that you want to make? I'm transparent with the fact that I'm a dyslexic. I'm nothing special about me. And I do that not from a false sense of humility, but all are the same. Tom Bill Yu, if you know him from Impact Theory, wrote the foreword to Future Proofing You. So I'm stealing his line. This is his, but it was beautiful. It moved me. He wrote to the reader of this book, I believe in you. I don't have to know you to tell you I believe in you because you're human. And humans are the most adaptable species on earth. The strong don't survive the adaptable. So the fact that you're trying to improve is already showing your adaptation skills. Every product you have on this planet was made by somebody that was stubborn. Every movie that you go to was made by somebody that was stubborn. And you'll never know how close you are to success if you quit. So there's a difference between failing and failure. Failing is learning what doesn't work. That's part of the process. Be proud. If you work for me for a year and you don't make a mistake, I will fire you. But failure is throwing in the towel and giving up. And if you don't believe me, 
I'll end with this. Go visit your grandparents or an old age home and ask people their biggest regrets in life. It's never what they failed at. It's what they failed to try. And so to help you, you buy the books. You don't make money from books. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to help you. But if you go to my website, jsamet.com, there's free workbooks. What I learned is people go, oh, this chapter was great. Oh, I learned all this stuff. Then they go to the next chapter and it goes out the year. So there's free workbooks that, that I'll send you. There's no upsell. I don't sell anything. Can't get my face on a t-shirt. And you can work on either disrupt you or future-proofing you. You can start writing out your life plan. If you don't know where you want to be in five years, how are you going to get there? I'm doing this for a selfish reason. I want a better world. It's the world I live in. If I can make your journey a little bit easier, if I, some of the pain that I went through can save you so you can make your own new original mistakes, I mean, I could do a whole show on how many billions, literally billions of dollars worth of mistakes I've made. So that's what I'm about. I'm grateful for this time to be on the show. And I wish everybody success. And Jay, I am grateful as well. First of all, the podcast, it is a little bit for me because I'm on a journey of getting insights and inspiration for others. I have the confidence because of what you said of insight, perseverance, a little bit of luck, but also just trying to serve others and and willing to fail or experiment along the way. I do hope that others that listen to this podcast will reach out to you consume your content, take a look at it, because I think if everybody just tries to think about themselves a little bit differently, have the courage to take a risk on themselves, be stubborn, because you never know that great idea may be very, very valuable to somebody. So thank you so much for being an amazing guest, Jay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website at dropinceo.com or visit our Drop-In CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.